You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Hashtag in the future, you'll get cereal with only four net carbs and 12 grams of protein, and it'll be magically grolixed. Would that happen to look like a magic spoon box with a Grolic sticker slapped no! on the top? Okay. No, okay. come on. I think this is farther in the future and it will be magically Grolix through in the future machines that work like from Star Trek, you know, where you're like, give me a hot cocoa. And it's like, bloop, 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 hot cocoa. Yeah. One of those. Fire up the Blinkatron. Hey there, listener. This is Randy from the future. And I just wanted to say that despite what past Randy, Melanie, and Jesse may say at the beginning of this episode, we're not going to talk about audio drama tonight. Our original recording, which we did during a live stream, we talked about two Doctor Who comic books and two big finish Doctor Who audio adventures. I'm actually going to split that conversation up for two episodes. This is part one. We're going to talk about some comics. Next audio episode, it'll be part two. Enjoy. Welcome to the Grogs Podcast, episode number 99.005. It's a mouthful. Woo. I'm Randy. I'm Melanie. And I'm Jesse. That is how, <laughs> excuse me, that is, I'm not used to doing the old style of intro. That is how I would do the intro. I would attack you with the episode number at the right at the beginning. Yeah. Tonight, yep. we're continuing our adventures with the 10th Doctor and Donna on our Doctor Who, I would say, revisit. But tonight, we're talking about stuff that's all new to me. Me as well. Some of it I know is new to Jesse, not necessarily all of it. The comics were new to me. Wait, we're talking about comics on the Grolix podcast? <laughs> Whoa, it's like we are numbering these. Yeah, so we read two comics that feature the Tenth Doctor and Donna Noble. There aren't a whole lot to choose from, at least not mm -hmm. that I had on hand. And we listened to two audio dramas. So the question is... What do we want to dive into first? I say the comics. Let's do comics and then audio dramas. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, then we'll do this in the order that I'm assuming we read them because it was the order that they were in the book. Did these, at least one of these must have come from the Doctor Who magazine, right? Both of these were released by IDW oh. as one-shot stories, I guess. One-shot issues. Oh. Yeah. I was a little surprised. So yeah, both of these were one-shot comics originally published in 2009 by IDW. And we read them though, as part of the Titan comics release of the 10th doctor archives, omnibus volume two at the beginning of the omnibus, it listed that, you know, I guess chapters or the creators and whatever. One thing I was a little disappointed by though, with this collection, this omnibus is like no cover art. Hmm. Right. And no, um, no title splays. Looking through the CBZ, it was like really hard to figure out where the page numbers were in the app that I use. Mm -hmm. And then um, like there was nothing that really denoted the name of the story or anything. Yeah, there were like yeah. no title pages or anything. If I mean, it was clear by because of the way the stories are structured when one would end. But it wasn't clear if you're just flipping through. It just 
cut out the credits page, the title or the covers. There was no title page, nothing like, yeah, it, it seemed a little weird to me. There's also very little information online about what's in these omnibuses, which kind of made it a little tricky too. Because if you look up the story specifically, which was Autopia and, or Autopia and Cold-Blooded War, IDW published in this, collected in whatever trade IDW had released, but there's like not sure. a lot of information about how Titan had released them. So let's first talk about then, would it be Autopia? That's how I said it. Uh, yeah. I That's how I read it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the publisher summary, so they're selling it, you know. An all-American creative team tackles the celebrated Doctor, <laughs> really, in this special standalone tale. An adventure where the Tenth Doctor and his companion arrive, not even a mention of who his companion is, and his companion arrive on a utopian planet where robots do all the manual labor. But things aren't quite as they seem. Okay. It's interesting it's an all-American team because my initial thought was that the art is pretty good and the characters aren't quite, they didn't quite nail it. Right. Mm -hmm. So this was written by John Ostrander, who's done, you know, he's done a lot of, uh, I think especially through like kind of the 80s and the 90s, he's done a lot of work for, on a lot of series. I know I've read some Batman or Detective Comics written by him. Art by Kelly Yates, who's also done a lot of work. Colors by Chris Carter. I did find Kelly Yates is not only still, you know, active. He just recently, either this month or last month, completed a successful Kickstarter project to fund a special collection trade paperback of his creator-owned series, Amber Adams, as in A-T-O-M, Atoms, uh, which was originally okay. published by Image Comics. So Okay. <laughs> Sorry, we're talking comics. We actually used to provide a bunch of information about the comics and the yeah, creators. Yeah, we did. This we is the thing used we used to. to do. Yeah. But, Jesse, you had dived into it already, and I think you're right. I don't know. The characterization was fine, but not super strong in this. Better for the Doctor than for Donna. Like, yes. Donna is so very specific. And, and reading through this one, I, I was like, oh, no, this is why they didn't do a bunch of these, because without Catherine Tate doing it, you don't know how to do Donna, do you? <laughs> I'll be interested to hear what you think of the next one, then, because I would agree with you on this specifically, this story. Oh, that's why I'm very specifically calling this one out. Okay. Donna is strange to me anyway. I don't understand her motivation most of the time. The most Donna thing about this is the very, very end. I was like, okay, yeah, that's that's what Donna would do. Right, right. Mm -hmm. They show up on a, I don't know where the doctor was planning to go. I don't think it's relevant. But they show up on this planet that apparently they had somehow slipped past, like they have a, a blockade around the planet. That is where they were intending to go, though, because they had a whole big spiel about wanting to go there, but nobody was allowed to. And the last people who went there, like, never, never heard from again. Yeah, like 100 years ago or 200 years ago. I mean, the the concept is interesting enough. It's it's a society that's so reliant on robots that they just sit around and don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And robots do stuff, but they have like no motivation. I did like, it's such a short kind of breezy story though. But I did like when they interacted with the, they really interact with one normal human character there. This woman they come across. Uh -huh. She didn't sound depressed, but kind of, right? Like just... There's not really any point to live. She just had a husband, apathetic. but he yeah. just left. Yeah. yeah, apathetic. That's it. Just yeah, extreme apathy. 
didn't really seem to care and was like, yeah, kill these outsiders or whatever robot. And, you know, of course it happened to be the same robot that killed the last people that come through and that robot's having feelings about it. And that sparks basically their like robot revolution in a way with the help of the doctor. I will say though, Donna and the doctor were getting cooked. They got, they got cooked in a little bit. It was like when um, Bugs Bunny is taking a bath in the whatever water that's heating up. And then he's right. like, hmm, maybe this is a little too hot. Haas and Pfeffer. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of thinking, though, like, the doctor didn't, I mean, the doctor's not going to put up a fight, but the doctor straight up just, like, let the robot march them to this, like, uh-huh. area where they're going to get burnt in the sun thing. And yeah. they walked in of their own free will. I mean, kind of. They were told to walk in there. But he didn't put up any fight till they're in there, and then he started to try to reason with the robot. Mm-hmm. And you'd think he'd do something like with the Sonic or something, and yeah, create, right. cause the glass to break or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Try something first. Like if we want to read too deep into the characters' like experience in this story, I guess this would be pretty horrifying for Donna. She was about to die. She was being cooked alive. And yeah. the doctor yeah. just kind of like let it happen to them. He's uh, like, I'll try diplomacy. Right. With a robot. Ends on such a goofy, jokey tone, too. It reminds me of some Isaac Asimov stuff that I've read with robots. Like, you know, from, I don't know if it was its own book or if it was part of like the iRobot thing that was not like the movie it was different but yeah we're like people just go along with whatever and they don't really seem to notice or question robots for some reason like i don't know but i think that the doctor probably i assume i would like to assume at least maybe because i like the doctor to be smart knew that he could reason with him because of other things that he had said earlier and so he was just going along with it all for that purpose. Right. And giving him, giving the robot the opportunity to do the right thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he had, you know, like he had said he didn't like the last time when he had to dispatch the people. And so he was like, well, this will heighten his whatever emotions he has, you know, and make it easier to manipulate him into the way I want him to be. I like to think at least. I do like the twist that. Because it's kind of a subversion of an obvious evil robots are controlling the society thing where it's clear early on that, oh, no, that's not the case. The robots are either just totally ambivalent or, in it turns out, kind of the good guys until they're not. There was a strange wrinkle to this whole thing where it's like, okay, so all the robots are linked. So anything that the doctor does to this robot will happen to them all. But this robot has kind of gained a little bit of sentience anyways. So if they're all linked, then haven't they all kind of gained a little bit of sentience anyway? Like that, that bit was like confusing and questionable. Like, are they individuals or are they not? I don't get it. Yeah. That was kind of a, I think that was a plot hole of convenience because yeah, because mm-hmm. they did play it as like specifically this one individually was somewhat special because of his experience. But then when it came time to unlock them, it was, oh, they're, no, they're hive mind. So he doesn't have to like, so he yeah. could just do it to him and then it's done. It was a little kind of right. convenience contrivance. Right. Mm-hmm. Overall, I found it kind of fluffy though, you know, like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it was fast. Like the resolution mm-hmm. came fast. It, I, this wouldn't have been a whole a half hour 
episode. Right. It wouldn't have been an hour for sure. If there had been some like John Gutenberg or something in there, maybe it would have been good. But <laughs> yeah, a little Gutenberg, a little bit of uh, Johnny Five is alive. Yeah, no disassemble. Right. Right. Then maybe it would have been okay. Hey, laser lips! Your mama was a snowblower. I think this was like a five, maybe a four dollar issue. Would have been a little, wow. a little upset about a four dollar issue on this story because yeah. it seems super short. There was probably mm-hmm. a lot of ad pages in that issue. Well, it was from page like 77 to, I guess it's like 23, 22, 23 pages, I guess. Was it really? It didn't seem that long. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, so that's like a normal sized issue. Yeah. Not a double sized, but yeah. Right. Right. Like 48 is more your giant size. It's not bad, but it was so kind of like falls into, and I feel that way about some of the other stuff we'll discuss, I guess, kind of like it was an adventure. Sure. It wasn't like remarkable and mm-hmm. not all the expanded stuff is, but that's like the thing you worry about with expanded media where it's like, well, they're just using the property. Right. And not to say that that's what they're doing here, but it wasn't remarkable really. Well, do we want to move on to the next issue? Yes. Sure. Yes. Okay. This is also in the volume two archives omnibus. The titles on these things. Technically, I think it was Doctor Who, the 10th Doctor Adventures Archives Omnibus Volume Two. It's like, whoa, guys, come on now. Yeah. This is Doctor Who Cold Blooded War, another one shot comic originally published August 26th, 2009 by IDW, written by Richard Starkings. Starkings? Story by Gary Russell, who I believe was a TV editor of the TV, like a story editor that for the sounds TV show. vaguely familiar, but I don't know if that's just because of Russell T. Davies. It sounds right. familiar, but I think he is that the is it story editor sounds right for the TV series. Art by Adrian Salmon, colors by Chris Carter, with color assist by Sari Carter. Something interesting about the writer, he's also the letterer. He founded comic craft in 1992 what yeah the reason for my reaction is that is the place to go for like uh professional fonts if you want mm-hmm. to make a comic yeah to this like he, he he launched he started the company in 92 to focus purely on lettering comics and then you can look it up on wikipedia i didn't note the year but yeah at some point he launched yeah the website which like you said is like the go-to his initial batch of work on Doctor Who stuff was back in the day. He did various like writing, editing, and lettering for Doctor Who magazine during the sixth and early seventh Doctor eras, I believe. And he's done a bunch of work for other comics, like he did some Marvel work and stuff, and uh, you know some of the UK stuff, of course. In the nineties, he focused purely on lettering. Beginning in two thousand fourteen, he and Jimmy Betancourt, who also is also part of comic craft has lettered all of Titan comics as doctor who comic book series huh. uh, starting in 2014. Wow. But I thought that was interesting. It's not really, yeah, we got some but, doctor who alum and uh, yeah. some comics uh-huh. alum, you know, right? Yeah. Publisher summary in this standalone tale, the doctor and Donna attempt, at least the Donna gets a shout out in the summary. The other one is like, it doesn't really matter who was the, uh, it would be a real shame if in this particular story, she didn't even get a, like a, like a, a shout right. out, you know, right. right? You know, yeah. In the last story, it could have been anybody. 
it really, it really could have been yeah. any companion. It wasn't relevant. But this story, it's more relevant. The Doctor and Donna attempt to broker a peace plan between two very hierarchical and pompous alien races, the Draconians and the Ice Warriors. Was it really between them, though? I no, thought it was, it, it was like two different factions of the Draconians and the Ice yeah. Warriors were there to be arbiters. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But their best efforts are derailed by someone who stands to gain from the continued conflict. Okay, here we go. Written by TV TV show story editor Gary Russell. Yeah, okay. With art by Adrian Selman. I do want to comment real quick on the art on these both these stories are kind of similar in the style. And I think that's kind of typical of the IDW Doctor Who style at that time. Mm -hmm. I'm not wild. The last one especially, I'm I'm not super wild about it. I mean, it's not bad. It's just... It's a more simplistic right. kind of style. This one struck me as like the Doctor Who magazine comics. Right. Like that's the mm-hmm. style. And my, right. that artist might have even been involved in those because I, I mm-hmm. swear that I read an 11th Doctor adventure with Amy Pond that looked about exactly like this. Yeah. So. Yeah. This one, I, this one was more interesting and I was glad. I was glad. It starts with a like House of the Dragon size exposition dump. Yeah. Yeah. Also, one of those reporters at the beginning giving exposition was an adipose. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, they can talk, huh? Right. right. It's an interesting choice. And he looked like um, Sola. I'm just assuming it's him. Uh, he just looks like uh, kind of bored while he's talking about it. It's like, he didn't have like the excited mouth, the happy mouth that we usually see. I mean, he's just like. Argh. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what'd you guys think of this one overall? Honestly, they were both of the stories were forgettable to me. <laughs> and this one, even when Randy started talking about it, I was like, wait, I don't even remember how this thing ended. I give, um, her, I which... give her the plot. I give her the whole plot. And she's like, huh? I don't, I don't remember. And I was like, so then I start giving her like specific details. And then finally, I, I mean, I guess we'll get into it. Nobody cares. Spoilers. I was okay. going to say, I kind of, I kind of saw the end coming, but right. uh, it didn't make it any yeah. less poignant or anything right. like the point was still there and it still made sense and it was like oh yeah this is kind of how this would have to wrap up in a quick one shot comic format yeah. i had to give melanie yeah. that ending and she's like oh yeah okay it's like <laughs> that was the only thing she remembered it was like oh yeah that was wrong yeah it, that's that's right that's pretty much it i'm like oh okay some chicks fighting that's like everything you know right. because we do but yeah, the ending is the gut punch that you, that gives you the memory of the thing. This was almost a little better version of the doctor's daughter, you know, minus the cloning. It was just right. like, okay, let's separate the companion from the doctor. Let the doctor go do his little thing. Let the companion do their little thing and then bring them back together in the end. Mm-hmm. Bada bing, bada boom, and we're done. And there's a new doctor clone. No, there isn't. Right. Mm-hmm. I took a couple notes and after the exposition dump thing, the first note was that in the very early on good Donna characterization, or at least better Donna yes. characterization, because there's a line where whatever tenant tenant, they did fine tenant, you know, mm-hmm. you, you get yeah. his phrases in there and he's, he's, I think easy enough to write for. He's very specific, I guess, but he said something, something, something. So oh, that's brilliant. And her line was, everything's brilliant with you, isn't it? Yeah, I could hear her saying it. It's like, okay, yeah, yep, yeah. no, this they get it, they get Donna. I'm surprised it wasn't a woman that wrote it because 
That's how they are. <laughs> there was another line too, where where she was like, she's like, then you might as well kill all the children. No, no offense. <laughs> right, like, right. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty Donna esque. She Donna essentially, other than with the like outlier, the one guy who wasn't going to be able to be talked down from his like position, she resolved the conflict. Yeah. Which he kind of should have in this one, you know, based on what was happening. Wait, you don't think the man should have come in and resolved this issue? No, it shouldn't have been issue? mansplained, maybe. Maybe it shouldn't have been mansplained. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, okay, so this is a thing where it's, I mean, woman empowerment, but it's not really even that. It's like <laughs> tearing down the patriarchy. But it, it makes sense, and it works. I was a little surprised by the, the burka thing. I can't. I guess that makes oh, sense, yeah. but just calling it out specifically like that, I was like, Ooh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Initially I thought, Oh, this is just like, like, yes, this is a matriarchy patriarchy thing, but it also felt like it could have been a stand in for any kind of progressive, um, change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, until, until you kind of threw in some of those very overt things where it's like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I li- I like the deal where they were like, didn't draconian actually mean da 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 da. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. We're just going to hit that right on the nose, huh? On the nose, but not necessarily ham-fisted. Well, I mean, that's a little ham-fisted. But, I mean, that's a good way to describe, at least for, for me, how they approached the topic. is like it's up very on the nose, but it didn't feel particularly ham-fisted. It's like, okay, that's fine. It's a fine allegory for right. the same thing with other cultures, I guess. This one was much more wordy. I was a yeah. little worried about that at first. But as I got into it, it was like, oh, no, this is good. This is all right. Mm. That's also another thing. Not much happens. Like you've got other than yeah. the setup of the exposition, Doctor and Donna show up. Of course, they're not where they expected to be. Doctor gets kidnapped. They run back, and then it resolves. But everything else is just like kind of talking. So it kind of honestly, it's sad, but it it reminds me a little bit of the suffragette movement, and like they, it was happening, but it wasn't until like uh, someone died at it was at a racetrack or something that people were like, oh, and started paying attention. And then it gained power. You know what I mean? And it, it's poopy that that stuff has to happen for people to pay attention. But, you know, I guess if it in the end makes things better for everyone, then that's, I guess what it takes. I don't know. That's what they seemed. That was their whole take on it. It seemed like, well, well, it sucks. She died, but that sometimes has to happen for these things to to progress. You know, that seemed like the moral of the story, which yeah, seemed a was, little messed up. But that did seem flip flopped. Like mm-hmm. Donna was consoling the doctor on that point. Yes, was like I, that part feels a little backwards because right. that is not usually how Donna reacts to this kind of thing. Like, right? If she saw a, a little, I mean, spoilers. If she saw a little girl get shot protecting mm-hmm. someone else. Um, I don't think she would have been so consoling of the doctor, first of all, and yeah. uh, calm about it. Second. Right. And not just shot, shot by her dad, which is the, you know, the big impact. Yeah. And die. Like they, they didn't yeah. pull punches. Yeah. Like <laughs> next frame, she's dead. You know, like they didn't waste any time with it. No, you guys both, you totally nailed it. And I think that's maybe where the characterization falls apart for her. Right. Because uh-huh. following my through line of like, how much is Donna being traumatized on their adventures? This, yeah, it does, seems flipped. The doctor's super upset about it. And she's like, well, you know, one life for the many. 
you know, it's for the good of the whole. It's like, <laughs> right, right. What? Oh, yeah, you gave the wrong person the wrong line there. This yeah, is the, yeah. this is the same Donna who's like, save somebody, just save them, somebody. Right. <laughs> shut, shut up, shut off my telepathic link because I can't handle the pain. Right, right, right. But she was like, hey, this is women's lip. It's a little different, okay? Because otherwise, she wouldn't be able to be Donna. <laughs> that's a fair point. Yeah, that was a little. It was a little weak there. But that's like the last page. Also, there was like a surprising amount of cameos as far as like Doctor Who creatures. Where right. it's just like, okay, so real. I mean, yeah, the Ice Warriors are there, but they're just the, that could have been anybody. That could have been the Jadoon. You know, I'm glad it wasn't the Jadoon for whatever reason. This actually worked better, didn't they? I but, think they uh, even name checked the Jadoon too, but they weren't they there. They did. Yeah, yeah, they even mentioned that they were like, if we're not careful, then the Jadoon will have to come. Right. Uh, <laughs> they name checked the Jadoon, and then they literally, for no reason I can discern, had an Alpha Centauri just run out of the room. Yeah. Like, ah, we wanted to draw. We wanted to draw an old school classic creature. That's it. Well, I think th I think the point of that is like they were also supposed to like help with the negotiations, and they said something about the, the testosterone or something flying around, and like the conversation, or it was clearly breaking down. And but I enjoyed this one better than the other one for sure. Yeah, back again. Just wanted to remind you, this is the end of part one. Part two, we're going to talk about some audio drama, so be sure to check that out in two weeks. Two weeks! That's kind of what our current release schedules look like, every two weeks. Till then. Thank you for listening to the Grolix Podcast. The Grolix Podcast is a production of the Electronic Media Collective and Vorpal Arrow Studios. For more Grolix Podcast, visit GrolixPodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, or follow us on Twitter at Podcast. We're also everywhere, all the time, all at once. I'm, I, I am mm -hmm. excited. I'll watch the second Dune. Mm -hmm. I, don't care about I don't know how you can say that though, because every time I'm like, but after this and this and this happens, then I just know. gotta not listen to you. If, oh yeah, you're pretty good at that too. Oh come on now, that's nonsense. <laughs> I'm the one who can say that. <laughs>